Welcome to Where I Come From, a podcast devoted to Nebraska sports figures and the life experiences that shaped them. I'm your host, Dirk Chatlin, and this week's guest is Omaha broadcasting legend Jack Payne. He covered it all in the second half of the 20th century. 40 years in the radio booth for Nebraska football, 37 years in the public address booth at Rosenblatt Stadium, even a decade of Creighton basketball. We talked about all of that, in addition to growing up in a graveyard in Okima, Oklahoma, going to New York City for the 1937 World Series, plus memories of Bud Wilkinson, Bob Devaney, Red McManus, and more. And he walked about 10 steps and turned around, looked back to me, and he says, who's winning? <laughs> Every time I could get a chance, I'd go in somewhere and put my nose up against the glass and look at what was going on inside the studio. Here, here was this big intersection, 72nd and Dodge, and beyond that, farm, cows, and the court. That was my introduction to Omaha at that time. This is where I come from. Do you remember your earliest sports memories? Earliest sports memories? Yeah. Uh, old neighborhood ball games. On uh, We had uh, a, a, a block, block of land that were in the area we lived in. We call it the Anthill Diamond. There were anthills all over it. And that's where we had our baseball diamond. And uh, all the kids uh, in the area, of course, would help get there, you know, after school and on weekends. And uh, we'd invite the kids from the south side. Of, well, I lived on the north side of town. And I have the kids from the south side of town come down and play, you know, play some baseball and different things we'd have. Were you drawn to, to radio broadcasts at a young age? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I was. I used to... Uh, uh, get uh, ball games coming up out of Dallas, Texas. KRLD, Dallas, Texas, had a signal coming up our way. And uh, a broadcaster by the name of Kern Tips, he was kind of the Laubrimser of, of Texas. And uh, he uh, uh, he did uh, a lot of the broadcasting. <clears throat> I remember him very well. And uh, I uh, would, on Saturdays, when I didn't have to go to work up my dad took care of a graveyard. I was I had my occupation, and uh, so uh, if I didn't have to go to work on Saturdays during football season, I'd get in the front room down on the floor, and I'd have marbles, uh, two different sets of marbles, different colors, and as the play-by-play man was calling the football games, I was moving the marbles around, you know, to try to follow the play of, uh, of the action that way. And uh, got just got interested in uh, in listening to the radio and hearing what they were saying, you know. <clears throat> and uh, my uh, one time, uh, I was up the graveyard working, and uh, was doing a a, a a mowing. I had a mowing machine up there. I had to follow the Toro mower, and uh, we had quite a layout in the graveyard to mow, and. Uh, I would. I got to where <clears throat> I would uh, walk along behind the moor, and uh, I would be just simulating a ball game, and uh, calling, calling, calling the ball game. 
And one time I felt my uh, shoulder being tapped on dirt and uh, stopped, like to startle a bit, looked around. It was my dad. He was standing there and uh, I shut the motor off and I said, I said, hi, dad. And he said, uh, who are you talking to? I said, oh, I said, uh, dad, I said, I'm, I'm nothing. I'm just, I'm just practicing. I'm just saying what this announcer says about the football games. And I uh, said, uh, I just walk along, put things at memory, you know, kind of make them up, go along the thing. And I said, that's just, just I said, no particular games. I just pick a team or two, you know, and go with the thing. And so he said, okay, he said, go back to work, go back to work. And he walked about 10 steps and turned around, looked back to me, and he says, who's winning? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't that something? How yeah, yeah. So this is the this is the thirties and forties. Uh, uh, that's back in back in the thirties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So this and is the, the Depression era Oklahoma. I mean, oh yeah, yeah. It's, it's got to be rough yeah. times for Okima, Oklahoma, isn't it? Yeah. See, uh, when uh, I was uh, four years of age, well, uh, my father took care, started being cemetery caretaker, and that was uh, nineteen twenty-seven, and uh, so from age four. Uh, coming this way, he retired in the graveyard. So the coming this way from age four, you know where I spent most of my spare time and worked hard, of course, to go up and work just like you would as a son doing whatever you have to do on a thing. And uh, the uh, oh well, all the kids, you know, they had uh, they had things to do, and we'd find time to get together and play ball, you know. And, Usually it was it was baseball. That was our biggest sport together, because then when school started, of course we had other chores and duties like that. And uh, uh, our hometown, uh, it's a main uh, uh, economical output. At the time was uh, farming, uh, crops of cotton and corn, and uh, materials like that would come in for for, for the gin. And my dad used to always be proud of our town because he said we had five cotton gins going, you know, there. So that means there had a lot of cotton around there, and uh, it uh, it was it was quite a growing up process. There. Did you ever really. work? The, did you ever work the cotton fields? I uh, well, now not not regularly, but what what you would do, which I did, as uh, when uh, I was. Uh, Older, big enough to put a cotton sack behind me. I used, I would, I would go out with my mother, and uh, who would go out and uh, and work, earn a little money, you know, extra, and pick cotton. And uh, I used to have a little sack of cotton. I'd go along and on, and work with her on a thing. But uh, I was picking cotton. I remember vividly uh, going down the cotton feet row. Your head's down. You're dragging that sack behind you. And put you pull that cotton off of there, and it wouldn't be surprised to see one of the nastiest, meanest-looking yellow spiders you've ever seen in your life <laughs> embedded in, in the cotton itself. You know, with the, on the weed and growing like that. And once in a while, it'd be a snake. You know, would just slither out of the way and go on with the thing. But that's all part of just getting the job done. Who were your heroes? My heroes. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's I would say uh, my my brother was probably my favorite hero of the thing. Huh. Did and you have sports heroes? If I come to the sports angle of it for the heroes, 
uh, I guess uh, Dizzy Dean uh, was a hero. Carl Hubble. I wanted to play Legion baseball. I had to get off the work list cemetery and go, go practice, you know. So he, he granted me that. And uh, then, by golly, we went up overalls and sneak tennis shoes, sweatshirts, ball caps. Won, won the state legion championship at Norman when it was played up there on the university field. And the uh, merchants in downtown decided that, by golly, they've got a regional tournament coming up and says, maybe we can bring it to our hometown, the little Kima, you know, Oklahoma. And uh, so uh, the damn team came in from uh, Albuquerque and Kansas City, Denver, and uh, we won it. Won the regional. Really? You're familiar the region yeah. stacks. Okay, we won the region. Next, sectional. Sectional. And after that, we would be one of four in the World Series. So we won the sectional. And so the deal was, of course, they wanted, but they wanted that sectional down there. And they, the attendance on it was just great, you know. It's back thir 1937. They made a deal with us. They said that uh, the, the Legion and the merchants, they said, if you let us bring this sectional here, <clears throat> we'll uh, guarantee you boys a trip to go see two games of the World Series at the nearest city. Most of us were thinking, well, we're going to take a we're going to ride the train to California. We're going to take a train ride to California. You know, we're going to California. Well, no, it's okay. All right. So, we made made the agreement. Okay, we'll do that. And uh, in came uh, Washington team from Washington, and uh, Tucson, Arizona. And Omaha, Nebraska. Really? McDevitts. The McDevitts team from Omaha, Nebraska. Skip Powell Rang was the coach. And that's uh, uh, the first time I ever had any dreams or anything to even heard of Omaha. One game. It was one game then, and you're out. Wow. One game. Yep. 1937. And... Uh, we had we won we were heading the game one to nothing. Fifth inning, you know, shortstop charged the ball, went through his legs. Well, it wound up that uh, Omaha beat us. Uh, he was nine to two. Hmm. He beat us, and uh, we got. Uh, but uh, we didn't get to go with the Legion, but. When the World Series rolled around '37, the Yankees were shoe in, and the Cubs were uh, fighting off uh, Cincinnati or somebody, you know. And of course, after school, we were all running to the pool hall to see who won the ball game, you know, <laughs> and uh, hoping the Cubs would win. And uh, uh, and the Giants, by gosh, the Giants won. Giants and Yankees, and uh, so we were put aboard a bus 
a chartered bus. We went to New York City and we saw five days. We saw the city and the sights. We saw two games in the World Series. We came back through Washington, saw Trump in Washington, then came home. And while we're at the, at the ball game, one of the games that's... Uh, Where was it? The Polo Grounds. And Carl Hubble was from Meeker, Oklahoma, which is about 60 miles from our hometown. And our coach, who's an attorney, he knew Carl. And uh, so I can see it now. We were in the lower box seats right off the field down first baseline, way back over here. It was up here, you know, we were out here at the field. And uh, uh, he, he called over the, the attendant. The ushers and paid him ten, gave him ten bucks. Well, it's 1937. That's a lot of money. So he gives the usher ten bucks to take this note up to the, the dugout up there for the Giants. Get Carl Hubble, thing. And pull uh, the game started. And by gosh, down here came walking along. As Carl Hubble came walking down through there, came over there to where we were said hello to Dick or Manor. Then he said hi to us. We talked to all of us, talked to him. And he had uh, had a ball in his glove. And uh, I said, uh, Mr. Hubble, I said, uh, could I could I have that baseball? And the coach, our coach says, yeah, Carl, he says, here, autograph it for him. And he did. He put his name Carl Hubble on it and gave it to me. And uh, I took that ball home. I had that ball in 1937, up in the, God knows, up in the late 40s or so, while I was, I was away from home going to school. And I had left all this, my memorabilia like that with my mother. And my sister lived in, the, lived in Okima, and her kid, her kid was a baseball fan. Uh-oh. And out in the playground on the street and all went my Carl Hubble baseball. <laughs> and they got they got uh, <clears throat> they got uh, damaged and so bad it was hard to tell what it was. This made me sick, you know, the thing. What a but thrill the, for a fourteen year old kid to go to the polo grounds for the uh, World yeah, Series. Yeah, yeah. For the World Series. World Series, yeah. And have and have the pitching star of the Giants come down there come down there to see you, you know. Down there. Oh yeah, yeah, that was really something. Wow. <clears throat> How did you get into broadcasting? I had a uh, real desire for it, uh, as I was telling you about the marbles and everything like that. <clears throat> Down through the years, as I went on, that's what I wanted wanted to get into. And ever since I was in junior high, then I started uh, heading in towards high school, and uh, my uh, English teacher. Uh, knew that uh, I had that interest and uh, she would uh, give me parts in, in, in the class plays to be before the public and speaking and uh, to read anything that uh, was to be read and I could do it before the class well she, she'd make me get up get up and do it and uh, she would encourage me to read the paper and she says read the paper uh, out loud and go with it, you know, and learn to, to speak and uh, project, as she would say, project. And uh, 
I uh, had good uh, good support from from her. Her name was Joe Catherine Ritchie. That was her name, my English teacher, and uh, and there at the high school, and uh, so when uh, I had a chance to uh, go to see Oklahoma City or Tulsa, you know, for some reason or other, uh, I would always like to find my way down to the radio station, which was usually downtown, you know, the thing, and there were stations and. Uh, little towns around us that were larger than we were would have a radio station and uh, every time I could get a chance I'd go in somewhere and put my nose up against the glass and look at what was going on inside the studios and the thing. Right. Huh. You uh, you remember your first broadcast? Was it, the, was it at the University of Oklahoma? <clears throat> my first broadcast uh, when I uh, <clears throat> I came uh, Back from the service, and uh, thing, uh, and I, w- I got a job as a student announcer at the University of Oklahoma's radio station WNAD, and uh, going to school, university, and then working my uh, shift on the, at the radio station. And the manager of the station, uh, he calls me in one day, and he said, uh, "Do you know anything about sports?" I said, "Oh, a little bit." He says, you know anything about football? I said, yeah. Yeah, well, I played football in high school, you know. And I said, uh, yeah. And he said, okay. He said, uh, <clears throat> our sportscaster has uh, gone back to Texas, and so we're going we're to find a sportscaster. And what we did, <clears throat> he uh, put me up in the stands at uh, Oklahoma uh, while the Sooners were practicing. And uh, he gave me a microphone, and, and uh, I had the, uh, the play playlist of the, the, the kids that were playing football, the players, uh, from the athletic department. And I just broadcast whatever was going on down on the field. And he called me in one day, and he said, uh, well, he says, I like what I heard. He says, we're going on the air Saturday. And so that was this cold turkey. We went on that. I had uh, then during my years there, I had uh, opportunity to do the home football games only, you know, for the University of Oklahoma. And this was uh, 1946-7. And uh, in 1948, I had a job in Oklahoma City and was working at a station up there. And the manager of the station, knew about my work down with Norman and he said we uh, were going to try to get the uh, uh, statewide network for Oklahoma A&M then you know as it was school then Oklahoma A&M and so we got it and I was I was going to school as a student at the University of Oklahoma and I was broadcasting Oklahoma a&M football. Huh. That's a little rivalry. As <laughs> <laughs> you can imagine on a thing. Now, this is just at the start. Uh, this is just the start of the Wilkinson era, right? I mean, uh, Bud took. Uh, Jim Tatum was coaching okay, so when, Bud, I, when I started back to school in 46, and he left, went out to North Carolina. And then Bud took over. Bud took over 47. Bud and Gomer Jones. Bill Jennings, who later coached up here at Nebraska, you know, he was on the staff down there. What was Bud like? Uh, 
he was kind of like he was kind of like an Osborne. Not not as he was not as 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 quiet, you know, in his manners and ways and uh, relations as as Tom is, you know. But uh, real nice guy, get to know him, and uh, you could ask him anything about the, the game, you know. And uh, well, he knew that what I was doing, and uh, I would uh, talk to him. We'd talk off the record about anything, just like anybody else would. And you got to feel very much at ease with him. Did Oklahoma A and M games for for how long? One year, nineteen forty-eight. And then you did. Then forty-nine. I they put a <clears throat> my friends put a station on the air in a uh, commercial station in Norman, and uh, I was uh, made sports director in forty-nine of that station there. And we did home games for Oklahoma in nineteen fifty. Dirk. Uh, they got uh, going, and for the first time, they had a statewide uh, Husker uh, Husker network, Sooner. and that was uh, a Sooner. Sooner, yeah, Sooner network in uh, 1950, and I I was uh, calling the play-by-play -play on that, and then uh, <clears throat> a fellow that was in the newsroom up here at WOW in Omaha used to run track down there for Oklahoma. And he was in journalism, and so he he called down and told our sports director, uh, uh, sports information director Harold Keith down there in Oklahoma, that there was an opening up here for a sports announcer, and if he knew of anybody down there that wanted to try to recommend to apply for the job up here, uh, have him do so. Which Harold Keith was the sports information director, and he told me about it. And sure, I was fine. Yeah, so. I followed the procedures and came up, was interviewed here, you know, taken out here, and uh, <laughs> I'll never forget. We came, we came west <clears throat> on Dodge Street, and uh, then here, here was this big intersection, 72nd of Dodge, and beyond that, farm, cows, and the court. That was my introduction to Omaha at that time on the thing. One of the reasons you were interested is because there was there was television opportunities, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, you didn't have that in Oklahoma. No, 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 we didn't. And uh, the uh, television came here <coughs> into Omaha in '49, uh, uh, and uh, then uh, I came in '51, which was. Uh, just shortly thereafter, it got started up here. What was what were the early days of, of TV news like in Omaha? Well, it, it, I think that there were there were quite a few people came out of here on that. Floyd Calvert, Brokaw, Steve Bell, and uh, people that uh, went on up. And uh, it was interesting. You were a lot of times flying to the seat of your pants. <laughs> you you had uh, you had ideas. They listened to you, and uh, you tried to do as much as you could. And uh, I always felt like that uh, when I look back on it, why did why did I do this at the time, or why did I do that? At the time? I always thought, well, now I did this. I, maybe somebody else will come along. Maybe I can help them a little bit by doing this or that and the other. See, and uh, you were given the assignments of go get the news and bring it in and that's what we did. Huh. We had the uh, uh, flood 
on the high water here in uh, 52 and uh, uh, we went uh, out and covered different areas of the, of the city you know the lowlands where we were and the water in Missouri was running real high and I went down they wanted me to go down and do reports from the from the site and the morning news and I went down on the, on the TV wagon we went down there and I got up on a ladder and uh, it's quite a quite a high ladder and uh, here was <coughs> the embankment here see so I got the ladder up there and looked over and put my nose down here was the Missouri running <laughs> right underneath my nose wow. and uh, and I my big biggest reaction to that was you crazy okey what are you doing up here you know <laughs> thing like that and uh, but uh, it, it was uh, it was a good education you were also a radio DJ for Bremser right I was I was a, uh, I was hired uh, when I left uh, <clears throat> after about 17 years I left OW radio and television Excuse me. Then spent two years with the Mustangs as their general manager. That's right. And That's right. From, uh, from Jack there, Payne was general manager of the semi-pro to, uh, Omaha uh, Mustangs got, got back in the late '60s. And, uh, KFAB called, and uh, I, okay, I'll go back, go to work with Lyle, kind of thing. And uh, we uh, we got we got along fine. Everybody, you know, the same as. Being like had been been around all the time, you know. There was no break in the action or anything. Was your intention to stay? I mean, did you, you know, you're an Oklahoma kid. Did, mm-hmm. did you intend to go back there at some point, or to go, or to go higher on the? Well, line? I was, uh, of course. Uh, I, I didn't know what lie, what would lie ahead. Of course, what do you know about what's up there? But uh, I had no desire after I got up here and got into television. Uh, and uh, was working with that I felt like well this is the future and uh, if I'm happy here and get along well up here people are accepting me up here and I'm known and uh, I get along with the coaching staffs and everything here in Lincoln wherever it is so this is home this would be home to me and I liked uh, I liked it here from the standpoint of school I had two two girls two young daughters I brought up from uh, Oklahoma, my wife Connie and I, and uh, so uh, I made it a family, a family location. I went. I was uh, uh, asked if I would come into Chicago. We had a man that worked up there, and on a station used to be with us over at uh, WOW, and he to- called and told me that there was a job opening up up there, and that uh, he recommended me that I come up and talk. So I visited up there and uh, in Chicago. And you know, Dirk, I went back and uh, got in the airplane, was sitting to take off in the airplane, and my mind got to thinking, well, let's see now. I'm here uh, all day, and I live in the outskirts out there somewhere. Uh, I'm away from my family. If something comes up that I've got to stay in here, and uh, do something or go to something. I'm away from home a little bit more, and uh, I I just said, well, I'm I'm going back to Omaha, and so I'm happy in Omaha, and that's that was the uh, uh, time that I really decided that 
I just didn't want any part of uh, trying anything bigger. You didn't want to be Tom Brokaw? No, no, I didn't. I would like to have been Brokaw on the local scene, but <laughs> as far as the network is concerned and moving on, no. I had no desire to, and uh, that, uh, you I worked, was happy. You worked with Brokaw, right? No, Brokaw was at three. Okay. Channel. Okay. He was KMTV. That's right. He and Floyd Calvert down there. Steve Bell was with us, Channel 6. We had him here on the thing. Nebraska football changed forever when Bob Devaney came to town. Uh, mm -hmm. Do you remember when Bob Devaney came? Mm -hmm. I sure do. And uh, I remember... Uh, uh, first, uh, first meeting I had with Bob to uh, interview him, and uh, <laughs> the outgoing guy that he is, you know, it was and uh, how friendly he was, and he said what he thought, and and, and uh, I think I think Bob to me was uh, a guy that uh, knew that we had a job to do, and he uh, he's doing his job, and what our job is largely is to report what he's doing <laughs> on the thing and yet he uh he would try to make it uh, sociable and as easy to get along with you could and if he made if he made an appointment with you uh as long as i worked with him he he would uh he would he would do it i had an appointment to uh, go down and for <clears throat> kfab uh the uh make uh, a pre-game uh, interview and we, we recorded it on on Thursday and uh, so uh, I went down to Lincoln and uh, he was uh, he, he came in it was for two third two o'clock in the afternoon well, he came in just a little bit late and uh, he's uh, been tied up at the noontime with so-and-so so-and-so and he says uh, are you in a hurry to get back to Omaha and I says no he says well he says, Wait, rather than waiting till after practice, he says, can we do this interview on the sideline while practice is going on? <laughs> and I, I said, you mean out on the field? Yeah, he says, yeah, fine. And, well, you know, he knows what he knows what he's going to say. I know what I'm going to ask him, you know. So I said, okay. So we stood out there on the sideline, and I had my tape recorder, and practice was going on. And he was... Giving his commands out there, this, that, and the other, and we started our our interview, you know, going along, and then then he'd uh, look over to me and he'd go like this to the cut stuff cut. He told me in advance this might happen. Let me stop the stop the recorder, and then we stopped the recorder. Then he'd come back again, and we started up again. Go back down to the, and I had the darnest time editing that tape. <laughs> Off, off and on. I imagine his language was a little color, co colorful at those. Well, days. it was the, the the boys got the impression. <laughs> <laughs> they got the impression, but uh, he, as I say, uh, if uh, if if you if you were accessible to his way of life, uh, you uh, you were very much at home, and. Uh, so we did that. I think all, all of us in the news media did that on a thing. We understood the situation is he's going to say this, he's going to say that, and you know what to leave alone and not use. And off. what did I say? I don't know. Let's don't use that here, I think. You were in the booth for, for the game of the century. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about that day? Very, very exciting. I think uh, 
Uh, we were really juiced up. We were ready to go. And uh, Blackwell, David and I, and uh, and uh, Lyle, of course, on the broadcast, and uh, uh, wondering, you know, if is this going to be as as big a game as they've hyped it up to be, or just how big will it be? Well, the more that we got ready for it, uh, I think we realized that that sucker was was big, was big, and. Uh, we had uh, a very good communications. We always had while we're on the air, and uh, if once somebody had something to offer, you know, a signal we give or whatever it might be, and uh, uh, we've I found out in working with it anyway that uh, there are a lot of things that I prepared for, or background and information that. Uh, Normally, I, I wouldn't go into didn't go into a lot, but I was looking back on the, on the previous meetings of Oklahoma and Nebraska, you know, times that they had played, what uh, what had happened in the games and all, and I found that 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 was interesting to bring it up and have it available. I, and I was surprised I ever remembered, you know, some of that stuff that would come up. And uh, Blacks, of course, he was he was rare to gold was. One greatest guy to work with you, could ever, you can ever imagine, and uh, we uh, we got the show on the road, and it, it rolled, and it was a good one. It was a good one. Do you remember uh, you you were sitting next to Bremser for his uh, call of Johnny Rogers punt return? What? Uh, do you recall that moment? No, I'll tell you, I was in the work that I did. <clears throat> I had the, I had the pregame, and then. Commentate during the during the during the action if I had something to come in with, and uh, I sat uh, just to the right, back to the right side, and uh, Blackie Blackie was in as the more of uh, in the color department, right? And he sat between me and Lyle, and the Lyle's uh, son-in-law was his spotter, and he sat over on the left side over there. We had their engineers, thank God. They they do a wonderful job, knowing more or less from intuition what you who wants to come in. What are you going to say? But you always wonder: Is my mic live? Is my mic live? And and it was always open. It was ready to go. I look back and see that's that's got to be one my biggest thrill, of seeing I was in on that. Your biggest thrill. I worked on that. Yeah, working uh, on that uh, on that broadcast. That's yeah. that's quite a. Uh... There's a lot of company. There's a lot of competition for that. Uh, with all of your experience, that's saying a lot. Well, the, uh, the 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 thing that you that you like to do and remember, maybe I think, or sometimes what was the hardest for you to get ready for, or how, how tough you had to work at it, put much effort and time and energy into it. You know, what uh, what can you what what did you contribute to this? You know, do you want to be ready there? You never know uh, with Lyle or with uh, anyone that's uh, going to call the game and you're part of being brought in, you know. Uh, when is, when's it coming and what's, go, what's going to be involved? Dirk, when I was uh, <clears throat> general manager of the Mustangs, okay, I had a football uh, staff. It was Al Canelia, Don Fleming, uh, Don uh, Leahy, 
uh, Bernie Berrigan, uh, let's see, well, anyway, football brains like that, coaching brains. And when we would have a, an analysis meeting of the broadcast, or, or, the, or the game, rather, uh, I made it a point to try to be there because I listened to these coaches and all in the, in play by play. What are you doing? You got the ball. You you got the ball. You got the ball. You can't you can't tell anything about what the defense is doing. What these guys back here are doing. Where are they going? How they're adjusting to it? What they're doing? And uh, I I made it a point in there to listen to them real thoroughly in the areas of defense. And when when I went to uh, uh, broadcasting with Lyle on, on the games for Nebraska, I would comment, and at times I would come in more with the position of the linebackers, are uh, they overloading on this, or who's blitzing on this, or what position is he playing, why is he off out here, you know, this, that. <laughs> and, and I found that actually it was making the game more exciting for me because I was getting a chance to see the whole picture. Well, and, just the other one. and I, I don't do this well enough, but it, the, there's an endless thing, there's an endless series of things that happen on every football play. Uh, and the greater understanding you have of that, the, mm-hmm. the more interesting the game is, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, when you, when, you, when you know everything that's happening on one play. Mm-hmm. There's so many moving parts in just a three or four second, you know, flat yeah. flash of action. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the fact that, uh, that we were, what type of pass are we going to throw? Uh, why, do, why would we throw that? Where was the defense on something like that? You know, and you look, and uh, as I say, being in and listening to these coaches talk and trying to absorb a little of that uh, just helped me tremendously when Did I went Did people back. give you a hard time about being an Oklahoman? No, I got, you know, I got the same thing you, well, as I told you. I was a student at the University of Oklahoma while I was broadcasting Oklahoma Aggie football. Right. That's Stillwater Norman, you know, right. like that. And I got the same questions down there. When they play, who are you for? You know, <laughs> who are you for today? Who are you for Saturday? <clears throat> and, uh, I didn't pay didn't pay too much attention to it, but I finally got my trite answer to them was uh, follow the money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you had the same answer at Nebraska. Yeah, yeah. People would ask me that, even even here once in a while. Some of these people would say, "Jack, when you were broadcasting, say you from Oklahoma, uh, how did you do Nebraska? Who was you for? You know the thing." I would just say, "Well, follow the money." I said, you know, when you leave, when you leave the broadcast booth <coughs> on the the day of the game of the century, uh, are you? Do you recognize what that game is going to mean? Uh, you know, in the in the history books, or how, how do you? I guess how do you wrap your head around that? Because uh, when you're literally sort of documenting history with your voice mm-hmm. uh, 
do you just do your job and go, or do you sort of have to take a step back and understand, you know, what this is going to mean 30, 40 years down the road? Yeah. Well, you are, <clears throat> you're conscious of the fact that I am the, I, uh, my eyes are your ears. Uh, what, what, you, what you know about this game, I'm telling you. And what, I, uh, what you know about this game, I'm looking at. And I'm relaying what I'm seeing to go to that. And uh, you know that uh, the importance of it depends upon the nature of the game. If you have, if you have a, a uh, number one defense against a number one offense, well, you can rest assured that people are going to be more interested in how that game went than they would be in just an ordinary, ordinary uh, run-of-the-mill game. Yeah. But I, uh, I try to, when I was broadcasting, uh, uh, I tried to, as I told my wife from time to time, I said, I sit there and I think, now what is there about this that I want to see? What is it about it would be interesting to, to, to the listener out there? If I was home, what would I be glad that was being said? Or why, why did I enjoy what those guys in Dallas were saying you know, I got my younger years, you know, and they up here play something like that. Dirk, I, I call that contributing to the to the profession. Uh, trying to do something that uh, maybe might make something a little easier for somebody else when they come along, you know, sort of thing. Well, and think of how many people, like you were listening as a kid, you know, in your in your living room with the marbles. Mm -hmm. Think of how many kids out there were doing the same thing. Maybe not with marbles, but their own version of marbles. Well, they're out there running on the threshing machine yeah. in the fields. Yeah. <laughs> Farming. Yeah. Saturday afternoon. Or running around yeah. the backyard. That's right. That's right. What happened? What happened today in Nebraska? You know what what went on today? Why did they do this? And what makes what makes uh, Johnny shake knock him out of their shoes? You know what what does he mean by that? Or how do you do this? How do you do that? Uh, yeah, that's uh, it's just a feeling you get. Uh, I think that uh, anybody calling a ball game has, tries to pick up what his what his eyes tell him are the most important things. Hmm. And you you have you have you have a desire. The fact I think that. Uh, when you look at it, gosh, you just want to get the whole scope. You just you got to get the whole, you know, this wide panorama of the thing. Well, sometimes you can get lost on that too, see. And then uh, other other times, contrary to that, is that you miss something if you didn't get the wide panorama. Yeah, how do you how do you, how do you balance that, Jack? Just to, to watching, just. Uh, I, as a broadcaster, uh, I just tried to look at the game, see what I saw, and try to tell you what I saw, and that's the way, that's that's the way I report the ball game. And if I happen to notice something that's going on or developing a little bit, uh, maybe I catch it. Then maybe maybe I wouldn't. And that's why I hope you bring your color man in, and he he knows he saw it. <laughs> When they take it, you did Nebraska football for how how many years? Uh, but let's uh, see. I I came in in the fifty one, and uh, my I I did not do Nebraska football in uh, 
uh, 40, uh, uh, 48 and 49, I was with the Mustangs. And, uh, 68, 69. I was doing Husker football from f 51 to, through 67, and then, uh, then I was back in 70, and my last football game was in 92. Wow. 1992 on the thing. And uh, I worked with some great guys in there, Pavelko and... and uh, at Blackie, you know, David uh, Blackwell. I always, I always had a little prayer before the game started that I, I would do the right things and I'll be given, given the ability to call the ball game and everything. And uh, so, game would start, and then the fun starts, see, and the action starts. And uh, lots of times, you, you look over to color man, and. Uh, to get relief from what you're doing, you let him have it for a little while, see, to take the pressure off of the thing. And uh, then, then maybe you get your composure back, better to go back when he throws it back to you. And uh, I, I'm making an adjustment to it. They're making an adjustment to it. And uh, then when you go and become a fan, and you sit in the stands like I, started to do, uh, my last football game was uh, 92. So it was 93 on this way when it went down to the ball games, uh, making that adjustment from being up there in that box and then sitting down here and watching. And uh, but <laughs> mentally, mentally you're calling the game. You're calling the game, but you, you know, whether you realize it or not, you know. And uh, still, you hope, oh, yeah, yeah, for quite a while, yeah, just in your you're, head, you're watching it, hmm, yeah, just in your head, yeah, you're you're uh, you're active, you just can't shake all that, all that action and things, there's all those years out of your brains right now, you know, from nothing going on from a totally different vantage point, and, and, by the way, that yeah. had to be interesting, oh, yeah, well, they uh, they'd say, uh, uh why, uh, someone would say, well. When you were calling this and that, and the other, uh, why uh, why did you why did you say that they did this or that and what they did? I said, well, there was a reason for it. If uh, if I felt like that it contributed to that play or helped out a little bit, I said I would I would try to get it in with what I'm saying. You are thinking you are thinking so much. You're you're ahead of the play. Your your brain's going a mile a minute. You're ahead of the play. You're second guessing. You're second guessing, and uh, you, you're usually right, but uh, you're trying to figure out now what's going to happen here, where's it going, what are we going to do, you know? And you, you come up with, uh, what am I going to say about this? <laughs> Were but, you exhausted by the end? Yeah, yeah. Dirk, there's, there's that microphone, and uh, you. <laughs> I don't know what the, the good Lord just puts it there to where I don't think it it's not going to bother you to think that my goodness how many thousands of people are listening to what I'm going to say now or the <laughs> next thing you know it it, it it happens all the time and you get used to it as a broadcaster I guess you talk of the thing and uh, you just try to wonder well 
what what's what comes next and as I told as I told you earlier I think you just try to see the field as much as you can and what these eyes pick up and as much as it can encompass try to get that as a part of the game if your corner people are are coming up on the play moving up closer a little bit more uh, okay if you can pick that up good and uh, to me, all that stuff adds adds to what's going on. Jack, when you're when you're thinking about how many people are listening and how it's completely unrehearsed uh, and it's all you know, your brain and your eyes are in charge of all of this. It's got to be some somewhat terrifying, I would think, uh, if you let yourself think that way. Oh yeah, yeah. That uh, if you, uh, <laughs> I was doing I, when I was. Stage with uh, K and R at Norman. We did Norman High School football on the OU field, by the way. And uh, uh, Norman, uh, they, Norman High School had a kid named Hill. <laughs> it was a, it was a back it was a back with the ball. And I remember calling the game, and uh, he ran with the ball, and his. <laughs> He, he made a turn that I remember said that he made he made a quick turn to the left and in so doing he he got off balance a little bit and started going forward stammering down and down and fell forward for made about two yards on the play <laughs> I don't know where it came from or how it came from but I'm up there calling that game and I had Hill moving out to his right I was Tackler's moving in on him. He's he's got these out positioned out there, and he turns and he turns and, <laughs> and he came out. Oh hell, 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 hell! That's that's one of the only times I I can remember uh, a word like that. You know, coming on a thing. But uh, we were playing at Minnesota, and Merrill work over the night doing the game. And uh, uh, we had a back, it was back deep. Uh, Clay, I uh, can't think of his last name, but Clay was back there to get the ball on the punt. And uh, he, he got the punt, fielded the punt, started up the field, and I had him at the, had him at the 15, he's up to the 20, he's comes to 25, I said, he's picking up blockers, and I, then I start going, run, Clay, run, 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 <laughs> like this. Uh, and why? I don't know. But Merrill work my color man looked over at me like this, you know. I was, he says, "Are you a cheerleader?" <laughs> yeah, run, run, Clay, run, run, run. Yeah. How did you handle Nebraska's defeats and disappointments? I was sad, you know. If uh, if it was, what if to me, it, it, I always felt like if the if the player is trying, if they're trying, if they're putting the effort out. Uh, then, then that's all you can ask a kid to do, you know. You hope that uh, his abilities will go with whatever is happening out there, his traits, whatever it may be. But uh, I was I was disappointed when we we didn't win. You can be so happy when when you are, can walk out of there and, and you're you won you won the game. And in losing, like I said, in losing, it depends on how you play. Yeah, and uh, so when I was <clears throat> calling Creighton basketball, uh, 
oh, I don't know, can't remember what game it was, but uh, uh, the kid, had, uh, when I got home uh, from the road trip, my wife said, uh, uh, you know, you're going to get, in, you're going to be in trouble. I said, "What's that?" She said, "Well, you you didn't say very nice things about so can't think of the name of the kid about the player playing." And I, and I knew I knew the instance she was talking about. And funny now, I can't think of the name of the kid. But uh, I said, "What?" And she says, "Well, you you just didn't say anything complimentary about that. You just said that uh, he didn't do this, and he didn't do that." I said, "Connie." When I say anything about something, if I think it's important, I say I go to that I go to that player, and I say I'll tell him I'll say now here's here's what I said when you did this. Uh, if uh, if you should have passed off, if you had, uh, took, took took too long with the ball, you should have gotten rid of the ball earlier, or you moved in on a play you didn't you should never have hooked him like that you know, and. Uh, and so I said, I want you to know about it before you go home. Okay. And the kids the kids respected me for that. They'd say, thanks. they call me voice. they say, thanks, voice. He said, that's good. And uh, so I never worried about them going home. Someone on the hilltop out there saying, Payne said this about you or this thing. And uh, I, told, I told her, I said, I always squared away with the kid. Red and Paul Silas, what a, what a combination they were. Yeah. Yeah. I was looking at my files the other day and I got a picture in there of the three of us yeah I had I've got some pictures up and I, I don't I've got more in my files I never put them up and uh, Paul's Paul's quite a guy and uh, Red was a real interesting coach to work with Dirk. why is that oh <clears throat> he was so emotional he was so volatile he was into it and uh, when Lots of times that uh, he he'd be he'd be he'd be pissed off at his own kid, you know, so far that people would think he'd be so mad, yelling his head off or something. But uh, the, uh, the 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 desire that the guy had that he he wanted uh, he wanted to win, boy, he wanted to win, and uh, the, every every little thing sometimes is really would give him trouble, and uh, he got criticized a lot about his temper, you know, about he did, or choking out, and everything like this, you know, different things. And I said, no, I said, Red's like that, that's just, just Red, I said, you got to know him on a thing. He was full of Irish, he had to, he had to go, we were playing St. Saint, uh, Saint Joe, uh, Pennsylvania, <clears throat> and uh, uh, after uh, I was working the game, and I had a feeling that it to, to me <laughs> to me it looked like we were we were getting homered. I, I I I really felt it, you know, and of course I kept trying to keep it out of my my broadcast feeling, you know, in a body like that, and attitude and how the play was going, how rough they were and all, and here we were playing at a place called the Mosque. And somewhere in Philadelphia, uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, and uh, so at halftime, I gave the cue back to the net, back to the station, and said, "Now we'll go back for scores." They, you know, they kept it for about five minutes, so I got a 
I see up there, walked down on the floor, out the door, down to our dressing room down there. And Red was outside the dressing room, and uh, there were some people around there. I guess some of them were reporters, talked to a halftime. And uh, I went up to him, <laughs> I went up to him, and I says, Red, and I started thumping him on the chest. I said, now listen, I said, yeah, but we don't have to play in places like this. We don't have to schedule a bunch like this. I said, you know what they're doing to us? I said, let's just, hell, let's don't play this bunch anymore. What are we playing this team for? You know, something like that. And uh, I left. And Herbie Millard told me later on the airplane, he said, uh, he says, you know, when you, when you came down there and talked to Red at halftime, I said, yeah. He says, a couple, couple of guys were standing there with notebooks. <laughs> they, they looked at me and he said, they said who, who the hell is that? He says, that's our, that's our broadcaster. <laughs> and they says, God, he said, how, how, does, how does someone who doesn't like what the coach is doing really act? He said, <laughs> you know what I think? <laughs> yeah. Oh God, Jack! College World Series. Uh, I mean, you you started doing it in '64, I think, mm-hmm. uh, and you did it for almost 40 years, right? Yeah, down to uh, my last year was 2000. Yeah. 2000. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that event changed. 27. Years. That event, 37 years. That that event changed so much in yeah. in your time there. Yeah. Uh, and I think people, I think a lot of people associate you with that event more than anything else. Oh, I, I know that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, they all, they want to talk about that. And they want to talk about Rosenblatt Stadium. Yeah, what did it mean to you? Uh, it's a good feeling that uh, uh, people were aware of the work I did. And uh, I had, I had, I enjoyed it very much. And I always felt like a, wanted to build a good relationship between uh, um, what I was doing and uh, their coming to the ball game. And I wanted them to be part of, part of the ball game, be part of the action, feel like you're wanted, you know, be happy you're here. And uh, I, uh, I just enjoyed doing what I was doing. It was so different than Nebraska football, though, wasn't it? Because it was. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, the, the the Nebraska football broadcast is a is a pressure cooker, and it's you know there's all these things going on on every play. It's you know? routine. It's cut and dried. It's routine. Uh, it's, it's the same. It's basically basically what you're saying is the same thing week after week about the football game because it's offense, defense, offense, defense, and. Uh, and baseball at this College World Series, there's so much can happen. You got the stands out here. Something's going to happen. The stands. Something happens on the field. Well, you're responsible. You're responsible for reporting what you see and what you can use. And uh, I would try to bring, as I said, to bring the people more into it along the way. Now, Bill Jensen. Now uh, he took over from me afterwards, and. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't have the freedom that I have because uh, I had to build interest and, and welcome people ahead of the game, build a position, build up, up. Glad you're here. Build this up. Build that up, and uh, trying to get people involved doing different things. And uh, Bill's pretty well cut and dried up there because they have someone now 
that uh, have something for him to say. Right. And he's got to read it, has got to say it, bring it in, what time he and, has. And PA was different than radio play-by-play, too. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, people, you don't have to tell that uh, everybody that Joe Smith is running down to second base. There's a play for him now. Right. Pitches low and it gets past him or something. They can see this, you know, the thing. But uh, you don't... Uh, if, if there's certain things you you uh, if there's a ruling or a certain play on the thing you know you can you can uh, call it and, and describe it a little bit. There were some days, some College World Series games where you were probably announcing the action for about 500 people out there. Uh, some of those day games in the early days, uh, and then you saw it. You saw the place filled up too. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you, and you and like you said, you had a lot of freedom to to say what you wanted to say, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the one time there's, uh, I had my field glasses, and uh, which I don't use very much on the PA, and uh, but I was working down front, and I noticed on Rosenblatt there, there was there was a, a little guy. I noticed a little guy. He looked like he was so oh, maybe about eight or nine years old, and. He uh, he was going along and looking up. He was rubbing his eyes, you know. Good. And I said, uh, I uh, I said, uh, okay, uh, you know. I, I said, I think that uh, fans. I think we got somebody that's lost here at the ballpark, and let's help him find his seat where he's going. And uh, just 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 like a conversation, you know. Everything got quite quiet and all. I was down the first baseline there now, uh, walking along down there. The little fellow there with that yellow shirt on and uh, carrying that stick or whatever it is, I said, uh, uh, would one of the ushers go down and ask him if, if we can help him, you know? And so he went down and uh, just ad libbed. They said, okay, I'll go down. And uh, so he, he, uh, he was talking to his kids, and I'm watching on the field glasses. You know, and uh, the kid was kind of stopped crying. He was doing like this, so he stopped crying. And then the, the uh, usher took him down to about two another section, and his mom and dad came there and ran up to him. You know, down there on the thing. You helped him get to his mom and dad. Yeah, yeah. You saw some remarkable baseball players, though. Dave Winfield, my number one choice of of ever. Of all the players I saw at the College World Series I was worked, uh, he's my choice as the best athlete that, uh, that, that I saw play. And uh, I think his reputation, his uh, background backs that up with, uh, with what maybe the NFL or the NBA or whatever, but then Major League Baseball would be on a thing and his ability. And he's on the ledge was on the legend team, and uh, also a hell of a ball player. He could he could uh, pitch. He could play the outfield. What was and, your favorite game at that ballpark? Well, I tell you, I've got I've got two in mind. Uh, one, of course, is Warren Morris's uh, two out home run. In LSU the bottom of the ninth, to beat Miami, to beat Miami, and uh, and then to the home run into the right field bleachers, 
for LSU in 1996. And uh, the other, the other is uh, is a game that what what more what more drama and uh, a setting and programming could you ask for than the final game of the last game played at Rosenblatt Stadium in the College World Series? You think about that in itself. This is the last College World Series game being played here at Rosenblatt Stadium. Now what now what would be an appropriate game? Wh- Whit Merrifield uh, of South Carolina hit a base got a base hit to right field and uh, in the eleventh inning and drove in the winning run. And here you have an, uh, an, uh, an extra inning game uh, and a team that gets its first College World Series championship and you win it with 11 innings being played and uh, I don't know how much more color you'd want in a, in a broadcast. You were not there, you were not doing the play? No, no, uh, address, uh, the, you were in the, the thing. Stands. On the thing, you were in the stands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just being there, being there, you know, and all of a sudden this this stuff soaks in. As you, as a broadcaster, you know, you're looking at things different, a little something different, something new, something that, that's not ordinary, you know. And that's why I say I sit here and close my eyes or even think about it, you know. That uh, that that's just that's just dramatic. I think as you could ever want. Walking out of that ballpark that night, were you emotional? Yeah, yeah, I was emotional. You know, that's a, the uh, with uh, Jesse Cuevas and his uh, remarks and goodbye and Viva Rosenblatt and all the things we had going. And uh, to know, to think back of you walk along Many, how many times have you done this? You know, you aren't going to do it anymore. You know, that's for the series speaking. Dirk, we had some. We had. We we were fortunate here to have a mayor that was just as much a home with anywhere in Omaha as he could be. Johnny Rosenblatt, who grew up here, played here, uh, got in politics here had the backing, everybody, led the charge to get us a new ballpark. We had some civic leaders that were as much sports fans as, as they were as just business people. 63, Mr. Pettis passed away. And about, it was about that time that Charlie Mancuso really got him interested in the fact of how to promote and what they could try to do and, in a way of building that interest to build the fans out there and get the people involved. And uh, they went to the Omaha population and they got all the service clubs, you know, interested in it. And from 60, you check your records, and on six, about 63 coming this way, the attendance just went like this. Huh. Well, they got enthusiasm, volunteers, Service clubs, all these people selling tickets, and they had 
the uh, each team had a sweetheart. The sportscasters got to vote on these. Each team had a sweetheart, and uh, and then, then they, from those they would select a queen. We'd have a queen in the College World Series. Well, that that stimulated a lot of interest in the schools where they where they came from. You know, whatever 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 they did, they went down and the grassroots and got down to where the people are and got the interest of the people coming and that's that's what built that's what built your college world series jack do you uh you still watch sports yeah yeah my wife used to say uh you talk back <laughs> you talk talk back to that screen <laughs> you know i said well, I'm not talking back. I'm just expressing myself a little bit, you know, seeing what's going on. I think. When did your wife pass away? Two years ago. Two years ago. And uh, uh, January sixth of uh, fifteen. Fifteen. Yeah. 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 Uh, and how old are you now? I, ninety-five. Ninety-five. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, we had sixty-nine years. Our, our marriage. We had sixty-nine years. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, she was a member of the our CAF, and uh, she was a corporal, Royal Canadian Air Force. Met her in Dayton, Ohio, and uh, it's one of the three places. Remember, I told you I went to, and uh, we uh, got married there. And uh, after. I was discharged. We went back to which down to Oklahoma. She knew that you know where I was from and what I was going to do. Go back to school, everything down there and thing. And uh, so we had two nice kids. They both now, of course, uh, their homes, uh, their husbands are retired, and their children are out, and grandchildren, San Antonio, Texas, and uh, <clears throat> Palm Springs, California. So that's the first week in December. I head to San Antonio, spend Christmas there with uh, that family, and then the first week in uh, in December and in, uh, in January, I go over to Palm Springs and spend uh, time there with my uh, other daughter and her family and all, and have my birthday there, help my uh, son-in-law run a golf tournament, and that's an interesting thing, and. Uh, then I come home, I came home the 8th of March. It's about three months. It's beautiful, beautiful on the thing. And the temps, the temps were in the 70s and 80s, mostly in California, you know, the thing. But San Antonio wasn't bad, not as warm as, uh, as California. And, you still watch a lot of games, though? Uh, I, well, I, I'm not, <clears throat> I am not an NBA watcher. I don't know. I, I never could quite get ready to go with that. Uh, are you a Nebraska I, fo- are I, you a Nebraska football watcher? Oh gosh, yes, yes. <clears throat> By all means, yeah. What what are you going to do, Dirk? This is a pot. This will be a podcast, so it'll be up on the internet for people to hear. Get to introduce people to to Jack Payne. You're going to do that for me. You're going to do this. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, bless your heart. I would. So. You can't see him, but here in his room at Newcastle Retirement Center, under a wall full of memorabilia, Jack Payne is wiping his eyes. 
Why does that mean something to you, Jack? Oops. It's kindness. And I think it maybe what I did was worth somebody doing something like that. No. I tried to please a lot of people and the way I did hard lots of times through my work and I never did think of anything as being as a favor or anything like that. It's just that God I just what just wanted to do it. I met a lot of wonderful people. You gotta pay back do something, contribute. If you're going to try to have somebody said, remember, remember you or something like that, well, do it in a way of helping the business and the profession. Sorry, no, I, uh, I'm glad that it means something to you. I think, yeah. I think people will really get, I think people will really get some joy out of, out of hearing, hearing you and hearing about your background. You know. Yeah. Well. You left a, you left a big imprint on this city, and I think you know that. Oh, I tell you. I had a wonderful dad. And, uh, boy, he's, he was—he was kind of stern, but we understood, and we moved when he spoke. But he wasn't—he was really a kind man. And, uh, I never. That's why I remember that thing about the cemetery. He had to have a good sense of humor too, and just to stop and ask me who won. I laugh about that. We, uh, Dirk, we had a, a lady in town there was a widow, a doctor, and the doctor passed away, and he was my dad's doctor. He gave uh, uh, his his widow gave my dad one of the doctor's suits, and uh, Dad never wore a suit very much. When we buried my daddy, we buried him in a suit, and uh, we were up in the graveyard there one day, and she bought a marble seat to sit in under a tree 
close to where his grave was. And uh, uh, my dad and I were leaving the cemetery and walking past there. She called over and she said, uh, uh, Lawrence, he called all the women sister, sister so-and-so, sister so-and-so. He would never say the first name, he'd call them sister. And uh, so I said, Sister Bloss, what's the matter? She says, we got a problem. And he said, what's that? Now she, she bought and paid for a white marble, white granite uh, tombstone, white, instead of gray, you know, like you usually see was his white. And uh, beautiful. And she says, have you, have you taken a look and seen what the birds are doing to Dr. Bloss's tombstone? <laughs> I'll never forget it. It was hot. He took a straw, big old straw hat off. That got a big thing. I took it off and swatted his knee a couple of times. And he says, Sister Bloss, he says, there are two things of which I have no control. He says, the four winds that blow and the bowels of the fowls. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Where I Come From. You can access our full library of episodes at omaha.com slash podcast or your favorite podcast app. If you have feedback on this episode or any other, please send me an email, dirk.chatelaine at owh.com. I encourage you to leave a review or a rating on your favorite podcast app. That always helps. Uh, Thanks to Bird Creek for the music. And if you have any suggestions for episode guests, feel free to send them my way.